0: We come this morning, or we're continuing this morning in our series through the book of Ephesians. And we come to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. It can be found on page 978 in your pew Bible. chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Hear now the eternal living word of God. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I'm not really an expert on the British royal family, nor do I follow them very closely, but I do find the life of the royal children interesting. The children born into the royal family of England have an extraordinarily lavish and privileged lifestyle. They literally live in a palace. They have access to vacation homes all over the world. They attend the most prestigious schools. They wear the most expensive clothing. They have access to any toy and game they could possibly imagine. But they also have royal duties from a young age. There's rules they must abide by. The male royals have to wear shorts until they are a certain age before they can wear pants. Most gifts they receive from people all over the world aren't allowed to be kept. They're actually not allowed, typically, to meet with foreign leaders. They have to learn a second language. They have to undergo etiquette training from the moment they're able to sit at a table. Uh, They have an unbelievably strict schedule. They're not allowed to eat any packaged or processed foods, and so on. The life of a royal child is a life of unbelievable privilege, blessing, but it comes with certain duties and regulations that govern how they are to live their lives. The Christian life is one of unthinkable blessings. Throughout the first half of this letter, the first three chapters, Paul laid out all the blessings you have through spiritual union with Christ. He's told you you're chosen before the foundation of the world for adoption in Christ, to be respected by the blood of Christ to receive an inheritance in Christ and therefore give you hope in Christ. He's told us that the power of God that works in all believers, the same power that raised Christ from the dead in victory over all his and our enemies and seated him with all authority at the right hand of the Father. And Paul stated that all people, Jews and Gentiles were under the same horrible situation. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. You were walking in your sins, living in sin. But all believers in Jesus Christ have been saved from their situation and from the wrath of God that sin demands by God himself. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And he did so so that you may walk in good works, to live in obedience to his will that He has already planned for you. But believers not only have unbelievable blessings in our spiritual union with Christ, being in Christ comes with duties and responsibilities. It comes with a way of living, a certain kind of walk, as Paul puts it. And in the second half of his letter to the Ephesians, Paul lays out what this walk looks like. What does being a Christian Being in Christ, demand of you. And Paul begins our passage this morning, commanding the Ephesians (coughs) and all of us to be imitators of God as beloved children. And in this passage, Paul gives three aspects of your walk, or how you will live your life as a child of God. Sacrificial love, thankful praise, and a separated lifestyle. As I just mentioned, Paul begins chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. This is the main principle of this section of the letter imitating the character of God. Like we talked about last week, it means imitate God by not sinning in your anger, by not stealing, by instead working hard and being generous. Imitate God in your speech by being truthful and building up the body, giving grace to those who hear you, putting away falsehood and corrupting speech. Imitate God in your treatment of others. He's saying you are to imitate God in these ways as children of God. As a child of God, there are certain ways you are to live. There's a way of life, a walk that is commanded of you. As he says in verse 2, "...and walk in love." As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So, Paul now commands his readers and every believer united to Christ by faith to walk in love. And this is the first aspect of your walk as a child of God sacrificial love. Again, we see this language of walk. It's a metaphor that Paul frequently uses for how you are living your life, your behaviors. And this word is in the imperative in the Greek. It's a command to live your life with love, to treat others with love. Love is the mark of a Christian. As one united to Christ and as a people collectively united to Christ, you're to live your life with love. And not love defined any way you want. Not a natural love of the flesh. It's a call to an extraordinary love. It's a love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. The love that you are called to as a child of God is to love like Christ. Imitating God means imitating Christ. It means loving others in a sacrificial way. Jesus famously taught in the Sermon on the Mount, In Matthew 5, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. That's the type of sacrificial love you're called to. You can see Jesus connects this to being a child of God himself. It's the sacrificial love that Jesus modeled himself. Now obviously we can't sacrifice ourselves in an atoning death like Christ, but you can follow the call to love your enemies And pray for those who persecute you. And this is a radical love. It's a supernatural love that only comes about through the Holy Spirit working in you. Jesus goes on to explain further in the Sermon on the Mount passage For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? The sacrificial love of a Christian calls to love beyond what the rest of the people around you and the rest of the world is doing. You are to love more than just the people who love you back. Almost everyone does that. It doesn't take being a Christian to love the people who are showing you love and are kind and gentle to you. Only greeting and being warm and friendly and kind to the people who are doing the same to you would not be any different than everyone else. But to love like Christ is to love sacrificially. And the death of Christ was the ultimate sacrifice on the behalf of sinners. Dying as a substitute in your place. But Christ also lived with a sacrificial attitude. And this is what you can model. This means not responding to being mistreated by mistreating the person back. It means, as we talked about last week, not sinning in your anger because someone's disrespecting you or sinning against you in some way. Even when you're suffering and dealing with someone who has a seriously sinful attitude towards you, still being loving in how you speak to them and how you treat them. Still being loving and gentle and patient and kind. And this is what Jesus modeled Peter wrote about this in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, that, that this is what Christ's example in suffering that he left us. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus modeled enduring suffering with a sacrificial By trusting in God who is the perfectly righteous and just judge. When someone wrongs you in some way, even a serious way, you don't need revenge. You don't need to sin back against them by mistreating them in return. You can sacrificially love them by trusting in God as their judge. Not judging them yourself. When Jesus died for sinners on the cross, it wasn't for people who loved him first. It wasn't for people who were giving him the praise and worship he deserved. He died for you, even though you rejected him, even though your sins were the reason he had to go to the cross. And he offered himself up as the perfect sacrifice, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And he also lived the perfectly righteous life you could never live on your behalf, modeling how to sacrificially love with all humility and gentleness and patience And kindness. But Paul continues with more aspects of your walk as a child of God. He says in verses 3 and 4, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Here we have more putting off the old self and putting on the new self as we talked about last week, which is putting off, stop doing certain behaviors and doing certain new behaviors. And Paul again begins with the putting off, the the things to stop doing. Sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you. Paul's prohibiting sexual, immoral, and impure behaviors of all kinds, including covetousness. Now, this word would include greed and lust. And we see how serious these things are because Paul says these things must not even be named among you. Christians, as children of God, are not only to refrain from sexually immoral behavior, as is proper among saints or among Christians, Paul says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. Again, we see God cares about how you speak. Crude and foul language, dirty jokes. Paul's prohibiting these things as well. These are part of the old self. These are sinful behaviors that need to be put off. Now, no one is perfect. You're going to make mistakes, and you're going to sin in life, but are you sorry for your sins? Are you repentant? Do you desire to stop saying these things or are you simply writing them off as no big deal? Clearly, Paul's saying it is a big deal. It's sin. Sin is always a big deal. Sin always should be dealt with. Repentance means to turn away from your sin and turn towards God with grief and hatred of your sin. Not to casually write it off as no big deal. Paul's saying these things are out of place in the Christian life. Not only sexually immoral and pure actions and desires, but the speech as well. Foul language of any kind is out of place in a Christian life and calls for repentance. Then Paul gives the response, the putting on of the new self, what we are to do instead. He says, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. It's interesting, Paul offers as an alternative to sinful speech is offering thanksgiving. And the reason is, is that sexually immoral and pure behavior and speech is ultimately idol worship. It's to worship the worship of sex, the things that are foul and impure. But Paul offers the worship of God instead. This is the behavior worthy of God's holy people, God's children. And it's the second aspect we see here of your walk as a child of God. Thankful praise. There are countless reasons to thank God and praise Him. And one on the forefront of what Paul's writing here is the forgiveness of sins found in Jesus Christ. Every Christian falls short of the mark of God's holy and perfect righteousness. But every Christian, every believer in Jesus Christ is found holy and perfect before God. Only by the righteousness of Christ transferred to them. So you can thank and praise God that it's not your own record of sin that he holds you to. Rather, he sees you clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. But that's not a license to sin freely. God calls you to himself, adopts you as his child in Christ, and calls you to repentance. You are to pursue holiness, make an effort to put off the sins in your life. Not because you need to do so, to earn your status before God. You're a child of God because of the work of Christ, not your own doing. But as a child of God, you're called to a genuine faith, a genuine repentance, where out of a true sense of your sin and of the mercy of God in Christ, you turn from your sin to God, constantly and persistently working toward new obedience. And a genuine faith will always have the presence of repentance. And so you should thank God for the gift of his son, for the gift of his spirit that Jesus overcame sin and death so that you can have new life and you can live out this new life as a child of God through the Holy Spirit working in you. Thank God for everything he is. He is perfect and righteous. He is holy and above all of creation. He is good And he is love. And out of that love he sent his son to die for you. So that you could be called a child of God. And so that you can love in return. You can thank God with your words. And you can thank God with your life. Living in obedience to God as a form of thankful praise. And I think Paul is specifically speaking about thanking God for his holy sexual ethic. The gift God has given within marriage. But you can also be thankful in every sense that God has called you to, even the holy life he's called you to, because this is part of the package of your salvation. You have been saved by grace through faith for good works. And if you're focused on thanking God in praise, you won't be living a sexually immoral lifestyle, looking at pornography, burning with lust, speaking in crude or impure ways. When a Christian does those things, they're focused on themselves. They've put God out of their hearts and their minds, at least for that moment. No one is thinking about praising God while they're sinning. And so you can live out your walk as a child of God through living your life with a thankful praise in your heart. But Paul continues this ethical instructions. He says in verse 5, starting in verse 5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. Paul saying anyone who lives this sort of lifestyle without repentance has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. If you do these things and you're not sorry for them, there's no grief or hatred for your sin's presence. Then without genuine repentance, there's no salvation. Because the presence of repentance is a sign that the Holy Spirit is in you. You don't earn your salvation through repentance, but if you have been brought to new spiritual life, if you are united to Christ by faith, you will still sin. But your sin will matter to you. You won't casually sin and say everyone else is doing it. You'll be convicted of your sin. You'll be grieved that you sinned against God and you'll want and desire to stop. And the person who is defined by these things and is unconcerned with their sinfulness of their actions You can be sure that a person like any one of these things has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, there seems to have been some false teaching that was affecting the believers in the Ephesian church. Because Paul says in verse 6: Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience. Some were teaching deceptive falsehoods. People were calling themselves Christians but laughing off the notion of a future judgment and teaching that believers in Christ can live however they please, regardless of how ridiculously sinful it may be. And this nonchalant attitude towards sin persists today, even in some evangelical circles. People thinking that their sinful lifestyle is irrelevant because their sins are forgiven in Christ. But Paul insists that God's wrath is coming. Do not be deceived into thinking that sexually immoral or lustful, greedy lifestyles have no consequences for those who engage in them. And it's not that you earn your salvation by stopping these things. But those who are forgiven also repent. You can't have one without the other. If you are saved in Christ and you have a new life in Christ... If you've been spiritually united to Christ by faith, you'll live accordingly. Now, in the flesh, you'll still sin. Still sin. But if the Spirit of God lives within you, it will affect you. You will desire to stop sinning. You won't want to live like the people around you. Instead, you'll desire to live the way God wants you to live. And Paul writes that, because the wrath of God is coming for those who live in disobedience to the will of God, in disobedience to the commands of God. In verse 7, therefore do not become partners with them. And This is the third aspect we see this morning of your walk as a child of God, a separated lifestyle. Now I don't mean that you should be a recluse. As a Christian, you're an ambassador for the gospel, an ambassador for the kingdom of God. And so you need to be out in the world interacting with unbelievers, presenting the gospel to them, and loving them in an extraordinary, sacrificial way. What a separated lifestyle means is living in a different way than the rest of the world. You should not live with a lifestyle like those around you. You shouldn't be conformed to the ways of the world. You shouldn't be openly and unrepentantly sinning, there should be a noticeable difference in the way you live your life from those who are outside of the church. And this is what Paul's been saying throughout his letter, and I'll continue for the rest of the letter. Unbelievers are dead in their sin. This is how they live their lives, spiritually dead, sinning without repentance, sinning without sorrow, not even recognizing their sin or simply explaining it away. But believers have been united to Christ by faith, adopted, In Christ, into the family of God, and as a child of God, there's a way you ought to live. You should care about your sin. You should want to put off the old self and put on the new self. This means desiring not to sin when you're angry and speaking in ways that build up the body instead of disgracing it and harming it, wanting to treat others with kindness, tenderness, and forgiveness even when they've harmed you or hurt you. It means living with the sacrificial love of Christ in your heart so that you can love even your enemies and those who persecute you.
1: Being a child
0: of God means living with thankful praise in your heart so that you can worship God instead of idols, sex, or money. It means living a lifestyle that is different from the world. Living in a way that more and more conforms to Christ rather than conforming to the world. And God has called a people to himself. And he's called you to be holy, to be set apart from the world and the way you're living your life, that you can continue to walk in Christ by loving sacrificially, by living with thankful praise in your heart and living your life for Christ, loving him, obeying him, living God's ways instead of the ways of the world. And you can do so because you're already forgiven in Christ. Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross so that your sins won't be counted against you, that your sins can be forgiven by God justly. And he also lived sacrificially. He was abused and hated, but he did not respond with abuse and hatred. He loved those whom he died for, even though they rejected him. He modeled a sacrificial life of love humility, gentleness, patience. Jesus lived in humble submission to the will of God, thankfully praising the Father for his gracious will, even though it meant his death. And Jesus lived his life perfectly according to the will of God. He he was separated in his lifestyle from that of a sinner, but he loved sinners. He was among sinners on this earth, but he never merged his lifestyle he modeled how to be conformed to the will of God rather than conformed to the world. And he did so so that through belief in him you can be forgiven. Through belief in Jesus Christ you can have new life. And through belief in Jesus Christ you can be transformed. It's through the Holy Spirit working in you that you can live as a child of God in this world. Continually putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Until one day, when Christ returns, when every believer will be raised up in glory, every believer will be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoyment of God to all eternity, living completely as a child of God in perfect glory for all eternity. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, We praise you and we thank you for the glorious gift of your son, Jesus Christ. We know that although we often sin, through your spirit working in us, we can be conformed more and more each day to the image of your son. Strengthen us, Lord, that we may continue to put off the old self and put on the new self. That we may be a shining light in this world, walking in your love. Walking in your ways that we are conformed and submit to your will rather than conform to the ways of the world. And we do all of this to the praise and glory of your precious son. In his name we pray. Amen.